Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 95 of Sorta Awesome, and one of my very favorite people on the planet is joining me today as a guest co-host. Tish Oxenrider is my friend and the creator of TheArtOfSimple.com, and the Simple Show podcast. Tish, welcome back to Sorta Awesome. Thank you, Megan. I'm so excited to be here. Well, the last time you were here was last summer when we got to have an hour-long conversation about all things Hamilton. <laughs> I know, and I've listened to it again, and I've since, like, I feel like I've learned even more about it, so I want to, like, go back and re-answer right? all the questions. Like, no, 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 my, my opinion's <laughs> different now. Exactly. Yeah. I feel the I same way. I really mm-hmm. do. So I'm so glad to have you back on the show. So I'm sure all of you are familiar with Tish's work. We talk about her quite a bit on Sort of Awesome, but just in case you aren't you should know that Tish is not only a longtime blogger and podcaster, she's also a fantastic author. Her books include Organized Simplicity, Notes from a Blue Bike, and the very, very soon to be released book, At Home in the World. It's a memoir of her family's nine months filled with travel around the world. Today, Tish and I are going to talk about travel and specifically how to make travel more awesome and enjoyable, even if you're one of those highly sensitive types like Tish and I both are. And we're going to get to all of that in just a minute. But first, let's start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Tish, what did you bring for us this week? Okay, so I brought a show that my whole family or we are currently watching together. I don't know about you, Megan, because your kids are similar. At least your older kids are similar in age to my kids. It is really hard to find shows that aren't kid shows that don't make us want to poke our eyes out with forks while we're watching, but it's still kid friendly. And so we've resorted lately to kind of a few reality shows. Like we tried Amazing Race for a while and the kids really got into it, especially because they'd been to a number of these places, except it started stressing them out. Like some of my kids who are more sensitive, they would just feel too stressed and they would ask not to watch it anymore. So we moved on to the Great British Baking Show, which is so fun. And they love that show because it's so calm. But we decided to dive into MasterChef Junior. And so that's my 
Awesome. I have never seen the show. And like most pop culture things, I'm I'm usually a little bit behind. I don't know why that is, but I'll find a show and I'm like, oh, look, a fun show. And it turns out it's like from 2012. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I definitely great. relate to that. Yes. <laughs> so this show I know has been out for several years now, but we just started watching it. I think you can we're streaming it on Hulu right now, I believe. Oh. And this show has sucked all five of us in, my youngest to six, all the way to the grownups. And it is such a fun show because it's like MasterChef, but with these kids. And they're all ages eight to 13. And I don't, have you ever seen an episode? No, I never have. Okay. I had neither. I was, you know, I kind of passed by because I was like, I don't know if I don't watch this. These kids are phenomenal. Like they cook things that not only have I not even heard of, but I wouldn't even know to think of, you know, like Gordon Ramsay, who's the host, will give a challenge that's like, I'm trying to even think of a challenge, like use this piece of the chicken or use a blowtorch or whatever. And they will come up with things that I can't even fathom coming up with. And I read a little behind the scenes and they really are really not being prompted, you know, because right. my thought was like, okay, some parents, their moms over there saying, well, why don't you do creme brulee? <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Yes. But no, they're coming up with it on their own. And the cool thing, the I always like learning behind the scenes stuff with shows and movies. Yes. The cool thing about this is these kids are really in it for fun. Yes. Ultimately, like, you know, when you see adults competing on a reality show, it's like to jumpstart their next career. Or if they don't win this, they don't know what's going to happen with their life. But these kids, like the prize money is almost an afterthought. Yeah. They just want to, they just want to cook. Right. And so it's so fun to see these kids just in their element, just enjoying what they do well. And they're so talented. And I don't know why, but they tend to be a little bit on the nerdy side. And I, I'm always like pro nerd. And so to me, it's just a great family friendly show that we can all watch. That's not too stressful. I mean, it's mildly stressful, but not really, you know, um, and we can all like watch it together and not want to just dive because it's, you know, a yes. cartoon or a kid show. So right. that's my awesome. Yes. I love those shows that are entertaining for everybody in the family. That's so fun. And also that not too stressful component is a really mm -hmm. big one for my kids too. So I yeah. love that. So MasterChef Junior and you guys are streaming on Hulu, you said right now. Right. I think it's currently on TV. Like we've caught up to episode the episode of the current season. So you can watch it on regular TV, but we don't have regular TV. So I don't know how on earth you do that. I don't know what station or what time or day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely get that too. I never know what network anything comes on. I'm just like, no just idea. Like the Americans, it's just a great show. And I don't right. know. We just watch it on Netflix or whatever. So exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yep. I definitely get that. Okay. Well, my awesome of the week this week is related to a topic that you and I are both interested in. And that is the Enneagram. Yay. All yeah. right. Yeah. You and I have had some really great conversations together mm -hmm. about Enneagram stuff. In fact, you kind of just recently had an Enneagram revelation about what yes. type you are. That's right. I met with an Enneagram coach finally. So yeah. Tell yes. me more about what you're thinking. Well, I have talked about the Enneagram. In fact, I've had Lee Kramer on the show a few times. We've talked Enneagram stuff. And one of the things, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram sort of personality system, a way of understanding yourself, um, it's one where there are nine types and it allows you to kind of understand both your strengths as that type, as well as your weaknesses. And the thing that I love the most about Enneagram, Tish, that keeps me coming back over time is that it really helps you understand patterns for growth. So once you kind of identify, okay, these are the struggles that I have because of my personality, 
it kind of guides you on the way to like understanding yourself better, why you why you experience the world the way you do. And here's what it looks like when you're moving in healthy patterns. And also, it's a good, you know, there, there's some good red flags. So you can realize, okay, I'm, I'm doing these behaviors over here. So that means I'm probably moving in some unhealthy patterns. So this particular resource, I came across very randomly. I think I maybe found it accidentally through Pinterest. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Which it's been, that's so out of vogue to say, like, I found this on Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's a whole other topic, right? Right. And, but this, this is a person also, she also does Enneagram coaching and she has a lot of resources on her site. Her name's Leslie Hirschberger. Okay. And her site is lesliehirschberger.com. Now, I don't know Leslie at all, but I came across her site as I was doing a little research actually on my husband's type, type five, because he has gotten really into Enneagram discussions as well. And one thing that I love about the resources that she offers, of course, she is a coach. And so she has information about, you know, you can do personal coaching with her or corporate coaching or whatever. But she has really great videos for each type. So, you know, there's sort of the usual information that kind of explains each type that you might find on similar Enneagram sites. But for each type, she has a couple of videos right there on the page for that type. And they're like all less than 10 minutes, but they just provide some really great, you like really kind of feel like you're sitting in on a teaching session. In fact, a lot of them, she, it's actually just recordings of her in some kind of group sessions with people teaching and talking about the Enneagram. And so I watched the ones on type five, which is what my husband is. I'm a type nine. Um, and she had some really great insights for types for the type nine. Um, on a few of them, she hasn't done this for every single type, but for, I think like the first, you know, types one through six, maybe she's done even like how that type should pause and kind of meditate or, you know, just like be able to take a rest in the world and like reconnect with themselves. So just some really interesting, um, self-awareness and personal growth and development stuff in a system that I already love. So it has been really awesome for me, a really awesome discovery. That's so fun when you're already well familiar with something and then you find a new, Yes, I don't know, it's like finding a gold coin in a treasure box. Like, oh, yay, something else. Because yeah, sometimes you feel like you know everything there is to know. I mean, right. especially for me, having got, known about the Enneagram for years and then to suddenly have a recent, the revelation is that I'm a different type than I thought I was for all these years. And so I'm re-reading everything with a different lens. And so to find something like that, I think would be so fun if you're already well familiar with your type Yes, and- um, you just continue learning more and more. And I don't know about you, but Enneagram to me is becoming more and more of a, just a lifeline, you it know, really it's, is. you know, it's not a crutch. It's not a thing to say like, well, this is who I am. It's, it's, it's like what you said, it, it propels you to growth. You know, it, yes. it encourages you to not stay where you are and yet to give vocabulary to why maybe you are staying where you are or going backwards or why you are the way you are in times of stress and all that. So, oh, I want to see all those videos. That sounds really interesting. The other thing that I thought was great that my coach told me is that Enneagram, even though there's so many great books out there, it's largely an oral thing. Like it's ah, an oral tradition. Right. And that's where a lot of times you figure out who you are by just talking it out. Yes. And so I think video would be really good for that reason. 
Absolutely. That is such a great point. Just kind of looking at the Enneagram system historically, because it's very, it's like it has ancient roots, really. And just to think about, yeah, that through the years, as the teaching has been passed down, a lot of it was just in, you know, in conversation and in teaching like that. So correct. Yeah, for sure. So interesting. Okay, well, Tish, you have a very busy month going on right now, because you are now in the midst of book release month. Um, we have At Home in the World, Reflections on Belonging While Wandering the Globe coming out on April 18th. So I know it's on pre-order status right now at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all the places. So you're talking lots and lots about travel these days. I know, but you know what's cool for me? Like this is the first time I've had a book launch come out where so far I'm not sick of talking about it yet. <laughs> you know, a lot of times I've I've had things come out. And before they're even out, I'm already moved on to something else in my life. And this time I'm not at all. Like I love not so much having to talk about my trip the whole time. I don't mind not doing that, but encouraging people to travel and the whys of travel and the benefits of travel and the practical how to's even, I don't mind. So there's just so many ways to talk about this that so far it's been really fun. It's like a privilege getting to share this with people. So yeah. Good, good. Well, it makes so much sense in the context of how I've known you through the years that you are talking about travel so much these days, because when you and I met, when our paths crossed years and years ago, you were actually living in Turkey at the time. So in my mind, it's very, you know, natural to imagine you being somewhere else in the world besides the United States. So I wanted to talk a, a little bit about that before we start talking about some specifics of travel. For people who are unfamiliar with your work, let's talk a little bit about your history with travel. When were you first bitten by the travel bug? Oh, that's fun to think about. So my first overseas trip was 15. I was 15. But until then, having been raised in Austin, Texas, I hardly went anywhere. I think the farthest I ever went on a family trip was Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so when I was 15, I went to Russia with my church's youth group. We were there for two weeks. And I definitely got bitten by the bug then. But it wasn't a it wasn't because of the travel. It was a little bit more of the cross-cultural blinders being taken away a little bit. You know, I, that, that's such a great formative age to to see firsthand, oh, not everybody does fill in the blank the way I, you know, I assumed was just a given. Right. And so that bit me initially, but I didn't really travel internationally again until almost when I was done with college. You know, of course, I did the Mexico thing. Right. <laughs> when you grow up in the church in Texas, you go to Mexico. That's right. Yes. <laughs> or, actually, I think other places too. Kyle, my husband grew up in Oregon and he would go to Mexico a lot too. Oh, that's but, funny. <laughs> I know. I know. But my first big overseas trip was after I graduated University of Texas, I went on a backpacking trip for three weeks. And I was really just almost like tossed into the deep end because that was the first time I'd really traveled by myself, let alone internationally. And that was a really cool experience. And so from there, it was always just something in my life that I wanted to cultivate and do more of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so then, I mean, from there, you just really that that became a regular pattern in your life, I think, right? Within in terms of like, you'd be home or back in the US for a while, and then maybe back overseas for a while. And that's really continued through the years. Yeah, it's kind of funny to look back on my pattern. You know, I I, I guess all of us, whenever we first graduate, you kind of have this like, oh my gosh, I'm a grown up now. And suddenly, I don't have summers and I don't have Christmases. What happened? And you're it's like we we have this message given to us of you should know what you want to do with your life, which of course, when you're 21, how old do you know 
you know, what you do with your life, much less as though that's like one big answer and not like lots of little things. So I, I went into the post-college world feeling like, well, time to get a job. And I realized soon into that, I mean, less than a year out of college, I was working in an office realizing, no, I, I still want to get out there. And so I had always been interested in doing some nonprofit service-oriented work. And when I was working in this office, I had been out of college about nine months. I applied for a position, an internship position, basically, in Kosovo, which is the former Yugoslavia. Uh, and everyone asks, where is that? Because if you look on a map, you won't even see it. And that's it's because it's tiny. It's the size of Rhode Island. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, it's really tiny. The whole country is two million people. So that's like Austin, you know. Right, right. Anyway, um, so it's north of Greece. So it's Eastern Europe, if if you know generally where that is. And I went there mostly for the purpose of testing out, is this the kind of life I want to pursue long term? Mm -hmm. And I was joining a team to help teach English to Albanian teenagers. Um, this was right after Slobodan Milosevic had been ousted out of power from NATO after the genocide. And so a lot of Albanians needed catch up on their school. They were not allowed to go to school for like two decades. Oh, wow. And so they did underground education type things. But English was definitely a skill that they they wanted and needed for just the global market and finding jobs and stuff. So I was there to help teach English. So that was my big like cross-cultural deep dive into like what it's like to live overseas. Yes. And then going from there, that is where you and your husband, Kyle, met um, while you were over there. So I know you kind of address this sometimes in, in your books and in your writing that, um, you know, just the fact that you guys met while you're both in Kosovo, um, doing work, doing um, sort of, you know, development, restoration work over there. I mean, I can see how that would be somebody that you would know you would click with because there's that sense of shared um, value system, really. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is I, I mean, you might find this interesting because of personality, but I find that we take on different personalities when we travel and we almost have, we take, I don't know if it's literally like, you know, here I'm in my own culture, I'm an INTJ and I suddenly become an ENFP <laughs> or something, <laughs> um, which would be lovely and wonderful, of course. But we, we suddenly become sort of a different type of person. And I've, I've confirmed this with other people. It seems to be the case. And so when I first met Kyle, we were both in cross-cultural settings. Mm -hmm. So we can look back now and say like, we almost kind of met a version of ourselves ah. and not the at home at rest in our own culture version of ourselves. Right. And so there was this weird <laughs> situation with our initial relationship where we, I, I, we were already married for a while whenever we crossed this line of, okay, now we've been together in the States longer than we had in ah, another country. Right. Yes. We'd already been married. And so yeah, it, it was a lot of interesting learning each other through that setting. And also whenever you are in that environment of serving and cross-cultural life, it's sort of a pressure cooker. Yeah. You know, everything gets exacerbated. Right. And so we got to know each other really well. So by the time we got back to the States, we were both planning to be back in the States around the same time anyway. Mm -hmm. It was only, I think, three months later than Kyle moved from Oregon to Austin. And then like three months later, we got engaged. And then like five months later, we got married. So it was all like really yes. fast. Yes. But yeah, that's the way we explain this like love for other cultures and other, you know, just traveling is it's in our DNA. Mm -hmm. You know, it's in our families. Mm -hmm. 
ethos. It's in our just who we are at a core level. And so it almost just feels natural. It it feels strange to us if we haven't been overseas in a while. So right. yeah, that's just our easy explanation of why we do what we do, you know? Right, right, exactly. So you all got married. Um, eventually you have children. You spend time in Turkey. How Were you in Turkey for three years? Is that right? We were, yeah, three okay. years. And um, we brought my two-year-old daughter there. And then we got pregnant with my second born just a few months after being there. So not only was I in this cross-cultural setting, learning how to raise a toddler and sort of starting over from scratch and little fun note, you know, fun fact, that's when I started the blog. And that's right. the reason I started, the reason I started the blog was because I felt like I was starting everything over, yes. but I was also pregnant and then dealing with a newborn pretty much almost that whole time we were there. So it's, it's kind of an odd, like, I don't even know what's what. Was that a turkey thing? Was that having a newborn thing? Was that a being pregnant thing? So yeah, it was a lot of stuff going on in those three years. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And so eventually you guys kind of, you, you make your way back to the States again, and you were in the Pacific Northwest for a while, up in Oregon. And it was from Oregon then that you kind of came together and, and decided we're going to take on the world as a family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny, though, is we we thought about this back when our youngest, Finn, was a newborn. So we were actually in Texas about to move to Oregon when we both said, you know, we the thing that we mourned the most about moving back to Turkey, well, one of the things, is we, we were so excited about raising our kids cross-culturally and giving yes. them a global perspective on right. the world just through daily life. So we loved raising our kids um, as expats. And so we were mourning that loss a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's when Kyle actually brought up, I, I remember I was holding Finn in my arms as a newborn saying, hey, we should, what do you think about traveling around the world one day as a family? And I thought, awesome, let's do that. But we definitely wanted to do it right and smart and not just like throw caution to the wind and be irresponsible. So it took about four years before we actually got to that part. Right, right. Yeah. But I love that. And you kind of touch on this a little in um, At Home in the World, just like having that, um, you know, sort of shared dream and kind of navigating like, okay, we're, we have this plan, but we're still here in the States and just, you know, kind of how that all meshed together. Um, but then eventually the time came and you guys loaded up your three children and took off. And if you could, um, I, I want to get to some of this other specific travel stuff here in a minute, but I would love yeah. to hear just kind of like, what you cover in at home in the world in terms of like, I, I looked and I saw that because um, I got to take a little peek and preview of it. So I can mm -hmm. see that you have it broken down by sort of like region of the world. And that's really how you planned your trip. Obviously, that makes sense that you would plan by region. And <laughs> right. so I love so so does the book kind of chronologically then um, take you take the reader along on that journey? This is the first book I've written that is pure memoir. So there is no, uh, the way I describe it is it's purely descriptive. It's not prescriptive. Mm -hmm. There is no how to in this book at all. There's no, you know, three point takeaway for the reader. It is purely a good story, I think. Yes. And so it, it literally starts at the planning part or just a little bit. It doesn't go into the how-to, but just a little bit of like, let's do this. And then it starts in our first country, which is China. And it goes all the way to the end um, where we left in London. And then a little bit of an epilogue where we return back to Texas. And it explains a little bit of that process. And of course, there are my thoughts. It's not like, a, and then we did this and then we did that. It, right. It's a lot of my own, <laughs> my thoughts. In fact, a lot of times I talk about it's a book about home 
but the setting is travel. The yeah. setting is the world. And so it really is like I, I and I love that it's being released in April, right? Just right before the summer. It's, you know, a fun just beach read or a, a, a vacation read or a good gift for a graduate or Mother's Day or that kind of thing, because it's just a fun story. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about how to make travel even more awesome, um, no matter what your personality type is, and no matter, you know, how sensitive you are to the world around you. But I wanted to give people a little bit of insight first to something that another thing that you and I have in common. Sometimes it's amazing, really, when we run down the list, we're both married to Kyle. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have kids in the same age range. Um, we love Enneagram and personality stuff. And we both have discovered fairly recently in adulthood, I think, um, that we are what is considered to be highly sensitive people. So we've talked a little bit about being highly sensitive on Sort of Awesome in the past. Um, It's something important to me because it was such a profound realization when I like started reading about this and understanding like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense From childhood on, I've had a lot of these characteristics, but I just, I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know it was part of the way my brain was wired. So this idea of being highly sensitive is based on Dr. Elaine Aaron's work. She has a book called The Highly Sensitive Person. And then there have been spinoff books from that. She's done like workbooks. She's talked about it in the context of children. Um, so it's the idea when, when we think about being sensitive, I think our culture tends to think, oh, they're like highly emotional people, <laughs> right. which may be true, like in my case, <laughs> but not always. It's really more this idea that you are sensitive to the world around you. So it may be that you're tactily sensitive, you're sensitive to, you know, actual touch, you're sensitive to some other kind of sensory input. Um, it could mean that you are um, an emotionally sensitive person. Person. It could mean that you're sensitive, um, like in a really empathetic way. It's maybe difficult for you to hear sad stories or, or read sad books or watch upsetting movies because you have a certain sensitivity there. And on Elaine Aaron's website, there's a little quiz that you can take. It has like 27 indicators. I think it's 27. I think. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of go through and check, like if that is something that you know you've experienced in your life something that you know to be true about yourself. And I, when I took that quiz, I got like 22 out of 27. Yeah, I think (laughs) I got like 24 or something. It's pretty confirming, right? (laughs) It really, really is. So I, a friend of of mine um, named Kelly, who is a photographer and a very, gosh, so talented person who's also highly sensitive. um, She kind of got me researching this. And again, this was like, it's been in the past five years that I found out about this. Is it something that's been kind of recent for you to a recent discovery for you too? Um, I think you're the one that showed okay. it to me, honestly. <laughs> so yes, you yeah. know, whatever, whenever you discovered it, and then you decided to share it publicly, yes. that's when I became aware of it. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I did when I was blogging, I wrote that post about like 15 tips for highly sensitive parents, I think. And correct. There were a lot of people that really felt like, oh, my gosh, all of these sensitivity markers really resonate. That's right. um, For me. And something that has been so fascinating to me about understanding and learning about sensitivities and being a highly sensitive person is like it never occurred to me that other people's brains weren't wired that way. I always, I mean, in the emotional part, I was always aware that like not many people are, you know, cry as easily as I do or have, you know, feel as euphorically happy as I do at times. But 
to understand that other people genuinely can be in a crowd um, where there's lots of noise and lots of, you know, all kinds of smells and people are touching you and not feel like so completely overstimulated, like you're just going to melt into a puddle right there. I was like, wait, other people like actually, they're not having to like force themselves through that. Like they I know. really like enjoy those situations. That's just one example. I mean, there's so many that I was like, well, I just, I did, I, it never occurred to me that people did not experience the world this way. <laughs> I know. And it, and like what you said about looking back to your childhood, I can remember actually feeling not direct conflict, but a little bit of conflict within my family when everybody else could handle loud noises, could handle the TV yes. on all the time. Yes. And, the, and, oh and it would just like, you know, resonate with me because sound is a big one for me. Yes. And, or watch certain movies mm-hmm. and be able to brush it off. And I just couldn't handle it. In fact, I remember when I was in college, I saw Saving Private Ryan with Mm. my parents and my brother, I think, in the movie theater. I had to actually leave the theater for a few minutes. And I I, and they kind of looked at me almost like a I can't believe you need to do that. That's kind of being ridiculous. But that was like the way I could handle it. It was just during, you know, you know, that movie, there's super intense parts. Yes. And so looking back and knowing how I am now, it is so validating to know that it's not just me being dramatic mm-hmm. or me being high maintenance. I think that's right. a big one. And yes. especially as someone like me who is also an INTJ in the Myers-Briggs where I value autonomy and independence a lot, it feels really almost self it feels a little deflating to feel like I can't handle myself, you know, what's wrong with me kind of thing. And so just to have this vocabulary to know, I think goes so far when it comes to, you know, parenting and of course travel and lots of other just everyday life stuff, just to know that about yourself goes a long way. Definitely. Well, I wanted to talk to you specifically about traveling as a highly sensitive person, because I I'm wondering, first of all, maybe we can talk about, Having done your around the world trip and, you know, kind of like reflecting back on those experiences, did it sort of make a difference to think about things in the context of being a sensitive person? Well, yeah, you know, it's it's sort of funny. We went westbound on the trip. So that means we started in Asia from the U.S. And when it comes to being different from American culture, you can't you can't get more spot on than Asian culture. Right. You know, it is so um, just flipped that from what we're used to in almost every way, including things like sights, sounds, smells, crowds. It is the most crowded part of the world. And so starting off the trip like that, I was, I was honestly a little bit concerned for this reason more than anything else. Like, how am I going to handle the huge, just throngs of people in the Metro in Beijing Mm. or, the the smells I am not used to on the streets in Thailand or all these things. And so I was <laughs> I was wondering how I would do. And and I did OK at first. It was like I was OK until I wasn't. And I actually write about it a tiny bit. I don't go to I don't use the official term highly sensitive person mm-hmm. in my book. Right. But in the chapter in Singapore, I describe a part where I just kind of hit rock bottom. And this was when I just was officially done. Like I couldn't even describe why I was done because Singapore is a lovely place. I I would love to go back, honestly. And it was, we were having a great time, but I was just, I was done. It was like I had some kind of max, you know, a cap um, for being able to take in any more input. And so Kyle, my husband knows this about me and he is not an HSP, gratefully. And so there was a day when we got back, we were actually staying in a hostel. This is the only time on a trip we were in a hostel where 
we just came back and he said, okay, you stay in this room and you do what you need to do. I'm going to take the kids out. And so they actually just went out and I don't even know what they did. I think they just walked the streets of Singapore. What and, a lifesaver that must yeah, have been in yeah, that moment. Exactly. So he knew what I needed. And even just a tiny bit of that day made things better, made it to where I could like, okay, crawl to the finish line. Cause this is near the end of our time in Asia, mm-hmm. because right after this, we were going to Australia where I knew oh. the culture would be a lot more similar uh-huh. yes. to what I was used to, not yes. better or worse, just right. more similar right. to where my senses wouldn't be on constant overload. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so interesting, especially that that was the place you went to first. I can definitely see how, yeah, that would have been yeah. quite, quite the shock to the system, um, especially when your system is already sensitive. Uh-huh. So, yeah, um, I went, we, we're going to talk about some, you know, more specific ways to make travel enjoyable. My travel context really until last fall was really pretty much limited to road trip kinds of travel. Um, so, and you know, there's certainly, certainly ways that sensitivities can flare up even when you're on a road trip. I mean, just even that sensation of being in, um, you know, a very confined space, like, you know, whatever vehicle you're traveling in, or, you know, a whole family in a hotel room can be very overstimulating, um, depending on who you're sharing the room with. Um, So yeah, there's just dozens of ways really that sensitivities can really flare up. You do not have to be in Singapore to experience, um, you know, just like sensory overwhelm. Oh, for sure. I mean, you can imagine even just like Thanksgiving Day, you know, when you're with a whole bunch of people, your extended family, and there's all these issues that for an HSP, that can be overwhelming. So for sure, you don't have to be in a whole different culture to know what we're talking about. Truly, truly. Yeah. So it was interesting for me. um, As you know, I went to Lebanon last September. And Mm -hmm. it was interesting because I was very aware of any kind of sensory stuff I might encounter. Now, I had obviously I had never been overseas before that trip. I had obviously never been to that part of the world. Um, And so there were some things that I didn't know what to expect. But for me, like one of the biggest tips I would give is just to like know what your specific sensitivities are and then kind of anticipate solutions for them. So mm-hmm. again, you know, you were talking about the crowds and, and especially like if there's lots of strong smells, if there's, if there are key components about the area you're going to be in or just the travel itself, the getting from point A to point B, um, just kind of anticipating what it is. So if sound is a big thing for you, if possible, if you're not the driver of the vehicle or whatever, if you can use like, noise canceling headphones, make sure those are packed so that no matter where you are, if there's a space where you can kind of tuck away, that you can kind of block out that noise stimulation that's going on around you. Um, you know, if you know that you have really specific, um, like clothing things, if you know you're going to be on an overseas flight, making sure that you're wearing like your most comfortable clothing and not worrying about what, you know, other people might think of whatever that looks like, but just knowing that that's going to keep you from feeling agitated the whole time. So, I mean, that was a huge thing just for me as I was preparing for the trip was to think about what are my biggest sensitivities? I'm going to be in a situation that's largely out of my control, but what are the little things that I can do to feel like there are ways that I'm still in control? Absolutely. You know, and when you said the noise canceling headphones, that reminded me too, especially for those of us that are parents, when, when it comes to road trips, think of what you could give your kids too, if you are needing that silence. So 
audiobooks in our family with a headphone splitter and everyone having their own headphones, that is a gift to me, not the kids. I mean, I'm, yeah, they like it. Okay. But I need them to just be quiet, you know? And, And so there are lots of creative ways you can, you can anticipate this for sure. Like you said, because, you know, noise is a big one for me. And I mean, there are times also where you just can't control it and that's okay to have a plan too. And that's okay to just decompress afterwards, you know, and, yes. and do and do max out, you know, with your sensitivities, but then deal with it afterwards. That, so yeah. That is a great point to just, yeah, to realize that you may not be able to get away in the midst of it, but to know, like, try as much as possible to plan in, like you said, that decompression time when you can just kind of, um, you know, get away from everyone and let everything kind of calm down in your system. Yeah, I feel like I've said this so many times that people are probably rolling their eyes. But one of my my most important tools that I had in my backpack on a trip was an eye mask. And that's because the light, the stimulation was just so much for me that I treated myself to quiet time with an eye mask, even if it was in daylight, but it was during the day in our guest house where I could just black out for a little bit of time. And also the nice thing about an eye mask too, is that the kids know that that is not a time to disturb me, you know? Ah, So it's, it's sort of like a little sign that says mom's out to lunch in a way. And so that, that became such an important tool in my arsenal for just handling the crazy. I was surprised how much like a $10 eye mask would just be a game changer for our travels. Definitely, definitely. Well, that reminds me of another thing that I was going to say. I knew, so instead of like thinking about how you can avoid things that might trigger a sensitivity, I like kind of also looked at it on the flip side, something that I'm really sensitive to is smell. But I was like, how can I make sure again, you never know when you're traveling, like what the smell situation is going to be. And how can I make sure that I can have like a positive smell sensory input. And so actually, one of the awesomes in our community suggested this. And she suggested taking a pashmina shawl with me. And she was like, it'll be great on the airplane, you can use it if you, you know, because she knew I was going to a country that is half Muslim. So she was like, if you go into an area where you need to cover your head, it'll just be a great all around thing to have. So I did take that. And then I spritzed it with my favorite essential oil blend from home. And um, it really was so comforting to have that familiar smell and a, you know, a gentle fabric that was that all of it reminded me of home. And it was just a very comforting thing. So instead of always looking at it as what can I avoid, sometimes too, we need to kind of like, make sure again, the eye mask is a perfect example too. what can I have on me that's going to help me in the moment. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I think of, you know, you're describing your time there where you were largely out of your control. Those things will help even more because you'll hold on to those little ways that you can be in control in such surprising ways. You have no idea how much like, oh, I'm so glad I brought my favorite this, my my music on my phone that I can listen to on this crazy metro right now or whatever, especially when maybe you're in a group setting or you're not in charge of the itinerary. That alone is sensory overload for me because I value autonomy so much. So describing that, oh, you know, just thinking of it makes me feel a little like overwhelmed, but just those little things of like, this is mine and, and, and this is for me and nobody else. It's kind of a nice little special treat there. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, so you just mentioned itinerary. And I will say too, I I know for a lot of sensitive people, the circumstance of either like either being out of control, like what you're talking about, or being surprised by things 
Um, that's not for everybody, but for a lot of sensitive people, just that thing of like, they thought they were going to do this thing, but then surprise, we're going to do this thing can yeah. be really disorienting and make you just kind of feel unsettled altogether. Um, so I think a gr- another great tip for um, awesome travel is to be as clear as possible on schedule. Now, of course, when you're traveling, 10 million things are going to go wrong. But something that was so helpful to me was that for weeks before our Lebanon trip, we got itineraries, we got, you know, this is going to happen on this day. You know, here's a link if you want to do some research on where we're going to be this day. There was so much information that even though, of course, we had to do a little last minute juggling for various reasons here and there, but just like being able to, f- to feel like, again, maybe it's that control thing, um, of not being surprised, like, okay, this is the schedule that, that we're at least going to try to stick to. Um, and then, for me, that did, it almost made me feel more flexible. I don't know how to explain that at all. Hmm. But just like, okay, this is what the plan is. And I realized it might change. And then when th- little things did come up, I was like, okay, well, that's the thing that we have to change. And we're just going to do it. So sure. Well, and you know, you bringing this up reminds me of why, as a sensitive person, maybe with a slightly different personality, why I try to avoid tours, oh, and yes. some sort of itinerary focused travel as much as I can. Now, situations like yours is different, but whenever I am told I'm supposed to be somewhere, I immediately want to push back. So (laughs) one of my, (laughs) one of my favorite ways of traveling is, I mean, honestly, I would love to travel by myself. Thankfully, Kyle and I travel, we have fantastic travel personalities, so we do well together and then add the kids, you know, and it it becomes even a little downgraded, a little less. But my biggest uh, solution to being able to just sort of do what we want is almost a little bit the opposite, which is have a lot of wide open days. But the way that works is by traveling what my friend Stephanie Langford, who is a very seasoned travel, she mm-hmm. calls low and slow days. And that's whenever, yeah. especially if you're going to go somewhere with a lot of tourist sites, to make sure you have in your schedule intentional days where there is nothing oh, on yeah. the schedule. And that means if you want to just stay in the guest house and read a book, you can. Mm-hmm. That means if you just want to wander the streets, you can even, se- if you're in a group, you can separate from the group. You can go do your own thing or you can do, you know, just whatever it is that you can recharge. To me, that is that is the sanity saver because man, I don't do well with forced itineraries. Right. I really don't. It's really interesting. I don't know what that is, but it just is a thing for me. Right. Oh my gosh. I love that idea of low and slow, particularly if you've got extended travel happening. Um, definitely makes so much sense. And you know, not only is this a great idea for people who have specific sensitivities, it's also great for people who are introverted or who are maybe like a lower energy type. You know, type nines are the lowest energy <laughs> in the Enneagram. System. Bless your heart. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just to recognize, you know, even no matter what, if you're traveling for fun, if you're traveling for work, if what whatever the circumstances, to be cognizant of what your energy level is and build in that downtime. So great. I love that. That's right. And if you if you think back to the type of traveling you did as a kid, whether you did a lot or hardly any, what you will remember about your time in a place is how you felt mm. and not all the things you got to do. Right. And so there, it's very easy when you go to a place where there's lots to see and do to feel this pressure of like, do all the things because all, that FOMO almost like we're here. We might not ever be here again. We've got to do it all. And really, you'll end up at, if you're like me and like a lot of people, you'll end up feeling just more stressed out. 
the whole time. And so your memories of New York City, for example, might just be feeling frenetically stressed instead of doing fewer things but deeper. And so I never try to do it all when I'm in a place. There are a few times when I go, I push myself harder than maybe I would if it, if it's in a city that I just adore, like London or something. But I don't sweat doing it all. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. we lived in Turkey for a while and I've still barely scratched the surface on the city that I lived in. And that's okay, yeah. you know, because I want to enjoy my experience there more than like cross off some list that nobody really cares about ultimately, you know? Right. 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 That makes a lot of sense. And I think that what you said about remembering the feeling of it more than the specifics, mm-hmm. that is so true. One area where <laughs> kind of the maybe a, a negative feeling kind of flared up was um, when I was in the Beirut airport. Um, I love Beirut. It's an amazing city. I love mm-hmm. the people. I love the whole experience of it. But the airport is very very stressful. (laughs) And I can remember my flight out, we had to get up at three in the morning to get to the airport on time. It was Vicky Reddy and I. Now, thankfully, Vicky is also a seasoned traveler. So she like was, uh, you know, she was like, let me just literally hold your hand, we're gonna get through this. But I really had to stop and think about a, a mantra that I've used in lots of situations. And that's the idea of staying anchored in chaos. And when I do this, it's it's like a mental thing, but it's also a physical connection. I really concentrate on my feet and the ground underneath me. And for some reason, just really focusing on the steadiness of the ground, whether it's outside or, you know, like in the middle of the Beirut airport, really is kind of a steadying moment. Because again, this was in an airport and granted, it was like when we got to the airport, it was like four in the morning and it was packed. There were people everywhere. Um, very few of the signs were in English. Um, it was a very, I, and I felt tense. I didn't know. I just, I had a lot of question marks about if I was going to the right place to get on the right flight and all of these things. Very overstimulating moment. But when I could just stop for a minute and breathe and just feel how connected I was, that I was actually not spinning out, that I was actually okay. <laughs> and just staying really, really focused just for, you know, just for a few seconds, really, to kind of get my bearings and just really remember to stay really anchored in the midst of the chaos was really helpful for me. That is such great advice that I would have never thought of. And, you know, your description of the Beirut airport, there are so many airport experiences. I mean, I think airports are more stressful than not. So I can imagine that really helping anybody who's a little trepidatious for flying just because of all those logistics, because it's a lot of having your game face on and having to focus. And, you know, not until you actually sit down on the airline seat and sometimes not even then can you really, truly kind of relax. And especially when you're traveling with kids and you need to make sure all these moving pieces are staying with you that... I love that advice. I'm going to have to take that with me next time because I hadn't thought of that. And, you know, thankfully, Kyle's such a good traveler that I most of the time I just happily take a backseat and let him guide everything. And I'm almost like a kid, just, okay, whatever gate, I'm just following Kyle. But there are times when I can't do that. And that's a fantastic advice. I like that. So there's something that I thought was such smart advice. I don't know if you know who Chris Gillibo is, but he is the guy. He has traveled to every single country in the world before yes. the age of 35. Right. Amazing. And, right. And he's the founder of uh, World Domination Summit, which is one of my favorite um, favorite conferences ever, even with the weird name. And he said something just offhanded on a blog post many years ago that I thought was such great advice. He said he came up with what he calls the $10 rule. And what that is, is he realized because he was watching his money 
in his budget, as most of us all do when we're traveling, he was starting to stress over little things that didn't really matter. And so he gave himself permission that if something were to make his experience better and it cost $10 or less to go ahead and do it. So his example would be like if there was a place that was half a mile away that I needed to get to and it was a really crowded, maybe hot city. And if, yeah, he could walk there and be just fine. But if a taxi costs $6 and it would make his sanity just you know, so much better and he would enjoy himself to go ahead and spend the money on that taxi. So I loved that advice because sometimes it's so easy. You know, you can't just splurge every single time, but whenever you're in the airport and you need that Starbucks drink Mm -hmm. or whenever you're just in a place and you would love to, I don't know, spend a little bit of extra money on a better, you know, room in the hotel or whatever it is to not, you know, stick within your budget, but to be okay with that. And I think this can even translate to not just monetarily, but to kind of be okay with those little treats that you might need, you know, and to not apologize for them. And I think those of us with, with the sensitivities that we have, sometimes you almost feel like, no, I can, I can rough it or I can do this. Mm -hmm. And, and you almost want to prove to yourself that you don't need those things or, you know, I don't need to spend money on expensive shoes, even though I know I'll be able to walk much farther. But man, those expensive shoes are, you know, they might make the trip enjoyable instead of miserable. Mm -hmm. So that $10 rule, I think, is so critical for me. I I so agree. And I think that definitely for people that do have sensitivities. Yeah, I think that especially if you grow up in an environment that's not um, particularly positive about having some sensitivities, you can you can start to train yourself like, no, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tough it out, you know? Yeah. But you're just depriving yourself of, you know, being able to better enjoy the experience when you're just so you're focusing all your energy on just toughing it out. So, well, the last one I wanted to talk about too, is the idea kind of relates to what we were just talking about. Sometimes when we are sensitive, we can really become so focused on like, I, I can't do this because it'll, you know, I'll get really overstimulated or I should just stay home. And we can really start to limit ourselves. And, I just want to encourage people to kind of flip that around and think about the really great thing about being a highly sensitive person is that we do feel and experience things at like, I feel like on a higher plane because we have these sensitivities. So when you are traveling again, whether it is a road trip, if you're going back to your hometown, if you're flying around the world, whatever the thing is to seek out ways to fully experience the surroundings that you're in. So, you know, if it's an art museum or if it's just appreciating the the sounds of conversation on the street that are in a language that you don't speak, um, just finding those little things that stand out to you and just like drinking it in and really letting your sensitivity help you to experience it in a really, really profound way. Don't talk yourself into this idea that, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that because, you know, I might get overstimulated because this is a, this can be a wonderful part of uh, the way we experience life. It's not meant to be something that keeps us at home all the time. That's right. Honestly, I think we are the lucky ones when it comes to travel because we can experience things so much more fully and with alert eyes, especially when we're rested. And 
you know, I think a lot of times we avoid travel because of the potential stress, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when it comes to taking kids with us. And Mm -hmm. so we'll use that as an excuse of like, well, my kids are just too young. It's just going to be a pain. And I get some of that. I really do. And when it comes to traveling with kids, my advice usually is expect the worst, but hope for the best. Mm -hmm. And that means that, yeah, bad things will happen. But you can still hope for the best and you'll be really surprised. But ultimately, I think the idea when it comes to travel is this advice of know that you'll probably make the flight. And what that means is when it comes to expectations of what's going to happen, if you go in thinking things are going to be hard, Uh, luggage might get lost, Mm -hmm. we might, we might get lost, the food might be hard for me to eat. If you go in just knowing things will probably be okay. We'll probably make the flight. Our luggage probably will get there. I probably will find food that I like. I will probably have a good time. Just going in with that attitude means you're probably going to have a great time. And I mean, there's very few experiences I've had traveling where I can look back and say, you know, I regret that. I wish I didn't do that. That doesn't mean it wasn't hard. And that doesn't necessarily mean I would even want to do it again. I mean, I'm I'm thinking of, you know, Sri Lanka, you are difficult. (laughs) But, (laughs) but I am so grateful. I, I don't want to say I pushed through in a sense of like, I didn't take care of myself, but I pushed through my hesitations and my, um, my doubts to just do it and just know that this will probably be an amazing thing. And it turns out it's usually true. Oh, I love that. That is such a great outlook to have on it. And I need to adopt that more myself because I can go really quickly to like, I'm probably going to miss this flight. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, me too. That's why I have to tell myself. I even say that I'm on a street in Xi'an, China, and things are crazy. And I don't know where I am. I have to actually say, I'll probably make the flight. flight. Like I just say that to myself. So yep, I get it. Good. That's so good. You know, and I, I think the final thing that can happen anywhere, it can even happen in your own home that I don't know if this is just me, but I find that my blood pressure just kind of drops and I regroup whenever I'm in nature. Oh, definitely. So yes. a lot of times whenever I'm feeling the sensory overload, it's because I haven't been outside yeah. enough or just gotten some fresh air. And so sometimes that looks like a walk around the block. Yes. You know, it can be, it can be a hike. It can be sitting by water. Yeah. But sometimes it's just going outside and going on an after dinner walk or whatever it is that makes a big difference for me. And that can happen anywhere. That yes. can happen traveling. That can happen at home. Yes. And that's, that's a big game changer for me as well. Yes. My oldest daughter has figured that out kind of on her own. And when she's feeling a little overwhelmed, cause she's definitely sensitive like her <laughs> mother. So when she's feeling a little overwhelmed by things, she'll go out in the back, just in our backyard and just swing on, um, on a swing back there and just, chill out. And I really love that she's already figured out that that is such a profound thing. And when I think back to you on my Lebanon trip, the one like moment, I'm only almost 40. So I may have another moment bigger in life than this. But up until now, (laughs) the one moment that was like, I will remember this the rest of my life, I loved it so much was our first day there, we had spent just being tourists and it was a full day. I mean, we were in vans careening around these mountains, you know, up in the northern part of um, Lebanon. And we had hit all these tourist sites and we had a tour guide and he was amazing, but he was very go, 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 go. So at the very end of the day, we're in the city called Biblos, which is um, one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities. It's like 6,000 years old. Man, it's amazing. And we happened to be there as the sun was setting over the Mediterranean. It's right on the coast. The sun was setting over the Mediterranean and it had been a very busy 
kind of overstimulating day, but just to stand there and hear the waves crashing and watch the sun sink down. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. And even still, I just kind of like hold on to that moment as like my happy place. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I've got chills even thinking about that. I love that. It was, I love that. It was a, it was a fantastic moment. And like you said, it was in nature. And so I felt, re- I felt like Zen enough to really enjoy that moment. So, mm-hmm. oh, this yeah. has been so fun. It's been so fun. I love this topic. Yes, yes. Well, I know, first of all, people are going to want to go pre-order this book. So again, it's at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the places at Home in the World by Tish Oxenrider. We will definitely have links out to it in our show notes. But Tish, if people would like to have any follow-up conversations with you about any of this stuff that we've covered today, anything from, you know, Enneagram to sensitive people to travel, where can we find you all around the web? Well, I'm mostly at theartofsimple.net, and that's where you can pretty much find links to everything. I'm on Twitter at Tish and Instagram at Tish Oxenrider. But if you go there, you can find most anything. But one thing I wanted to mention, I just thought of this as you were talking about this, is my book's website at homeintheworldbook.com. There is a place where if you pre-order the book, one of your freebies is a travel journal. And this is great for people with HSP. And I just thought of this because what this is, is my publishers asked me to uh, create a travel planner. But what I, I asked them, can I create a planner that helps you plan the other stuff? So not the money stuff, not the packing. It's the emotional preparedness, oh, the spiritual great. preparedness, yeah. all of that, you know, the relational stuff. And so the free the free thing you can get is, I mean, it's not just for people with sensitivities. It's it's for anybody. But there's a lot of stuff that you just don't know what you don't know, you know, right. before you take on a trip. And so that might be a really great resource for anybody out there. I mean, even not in a cross-cultural setting, you know, a road trip this summer that you're planning yeah. or you've got some family reunion or whatever. These are some great questions both to journal through beforehand and during and after. I have some my list of debriefing questions that we use as a family after we've experienced something together. So that might be really good. So you can find Find that at the book's uh, website. And, and tell me the, the URL again. It's at homeintheworldbook.com. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to go check that out right now. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Well, if you have follow-up conversation for me, don't forget you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. The show is on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. We're on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Tish, thanks again so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I love Sorta Awesome, so it's fun to be here. Thank you. And thank you all for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at progermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.